0: Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash project for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today on the podcast, we have Shannon McClay. She is the CEO and founder of The Financial Gem, a revolutionary financial services company focused on financial wellness for all. After a 13-year career in finance, working at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Shannon recognized the need to create a financial services company that provided clients of all financial shapes and sizes, the financial partner they needed to achieve their goals. And over the last 10 years, Financial Gym has worked with thousands of clients in all 50 states, all income brackets
1: and all backgrounds. I really am excited for you to dive into today's episode. Y'all know we talk about financial literacy all of the time when it comes to your business, and Shannon does this more so in your business and your life. So she offers a membership, they offer consulting, they have trainers. There's a really, really cool business that Shannon has created that I honestly think a lot of you would see a huge impact on. And in this episode, we really dive deep into what is the missing piece of financial literacy, especially for women and femmes in the creative small business space, What's missing in the sense of how can we increase our knowledge of a language that we don't speak, our confidence in an area that we maybe haven't had any experience or practice in, and really what's needed for us to kind of work through first in order to have a better financial health. So we talk about everything today and about how Financial Gym can help you achieve those goals. I really think you're going to like today's episode. So get settled in and enjoy. So as you guys may or may not be aware, our mission is to inspire,
0: educate, empower creative business owners to build a life and business that excels both financially and supports them soulfully. And since we started this business, we have been... Truly dedicated to helping build a community of fiercely supportive people that are also ridiculously profitable. And so much of that comes in with having true understanding about financial literacy. We want to see more women in business be not only financially safe, but financially thriving. And that's a huge reason we brought on Shannon to talk today more about what is the financial gym and how is she helping empower and educate people in the financial literacy space.
1: Hey, Shannon, welcome to the show. Hey, ladies. Thanks for having me. It has been 87 years since we've had a guest on the show. So if y'all like can be patient with us as we figure out how to talk to a third person in (laughs) our interviewing process. But we wanted to bring Shannon on because I think what you've created is really, really incredible. And I was digging into your website leading up to this interview and your way of wording things and talking to your potential members, your current members is really up our alley with how we talk about FinLit in the small business space. And this is such a unique world for women to be talking about financial literacy in general, and then to be roping in. I know you have a lot of creative small business owners within your members. And so this is a really interesting conversation to be having and for our people to be kind of brought to the center. Now, I would love for you to share with me what actually made you start the financial gym?
2: Yeah. Well, I tell people all the time, I love how we're on a podcast and we're talking about bosses and entrepreneurs. I never wanted to be one. So I'm like the accidental entrepreneur. I never picked this path for myself. When I was in college, I became a business major, but I just became a business major because I wanted to make a lot of money and not have a lot more education. So like no lawyer doctor path for me. So I became a business major, graduated 20, Three years ago, and I worked in investment banking on trading floors, and you know the Wall Street type job. And I told people all the time, "I'm not changing lives; I'm just making money." And I knew exactly what I was doing, and I did that till I hit about thirty-ish. And I remember when I turned thirty, I was like, "I told my then husband, now ex husband, spoiler alert, <laughs> spoiler um, alert, <laughs> told my then husband, thirty's going to be so easy for me because." I had all these friends freaking out about turning 30 because they weren't married or they didn't have children or didn't have a home, like all these goals that society tells us they should have. And I was like, 30 is going to be so easy for me because we're married, had my kid, had a great home, had a great job. And I was like, it's going to be great. So I had a really great 30th birthday party and then turned 30 and a half and was like, what life did I sign up for? Like, I didn't want the husband, didn't want the kid, didn't want the job. <laughs> I
1: know. Return. What's the return? Policy? Yeah, I was like,
2: I think I'm living somebody else's life. And it <laughs> felt very, you know, I just was like very disruptive. And I was working on a job and ended up getting life coached unintentionally. And one of the books that my life coach gave me was called Happiness. And it was written by a Buddhist monk. And It was a lot of 400 pages of woo-woo, but I was getting it. Like, it was like I was ready to receive it. And at the end of the day, the book, out of the 400 pages, what he was saying was the, the way to have true, sustainable happiness is to help other people and expect nothing in return. So... Literally open a door and don't expect thank you, you know? And that resonated with me. I was like, I think I need that. And at that point, I was working for a hedge fund, certainly not finding happiness. And I was asked to come back to work for Bank of America. I left Bank of America. They're asking me to come back. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go back. I literally told them no. But I was like, there's a lot of unhappy people there. (laughs) And I feel like that's like leading me to the thing. And so I went back to work for Bank of America. And my job, I was working with Merrill Lynch Financial Advisors. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I feel like I need a financial advisor, a financial planner because of kid, home, husband. (laughs) I feel like I need that. And I was working with all these advisors. And I tell people that I became woke to advisory. 80% were men. And I always say there's nothing wrong with that. I married a man. I birthed a man. Like, I love Mm -hmm. men. But it felt really unfair, especially for women. If you were looking for an advisor, it was hard to find somebody who looked like you. So I thought, if you can't beat them, join them. So then I became a Merrill Lynch financial advisor because I felt like the problem was inclusivity with advisory. But what I realized, it was inclusivity with clients. So to work with me at Merrill Lynch, you had to have 250000 in assets. And I didn't think anything of that because I had been around money and worked on trading floors. And I just thought, yeah, that's but it's really- also
0: like setting so many people that need the information they can't even get started. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, it was insane. And I say this with air quotes, my mentor, mentor in air quotes, because he gave me literal fucking advice that I took. But he told me, pre-screen all your calls, make sure people have money before you even meet with them, because it's going to be a waste of your time. This
0: is how we have an elitist society that It separates the middle. Oh, no. (laughs) They're like, don't even take the call, right? And so I'm looking at him like, I'm not going to ask
2: anybody that I haven't even had coffee with how much is in their bank account. Like, that doesn't feel right to me. So I said yes to every meeting. So I became the advisor of yes. So my first meeting was with a woman who was looking for a financial planner, connected through a friend. And she starts at the meeting. It was like a movie. She's like, so I have $250,000. And I'm like, all excited. She's like, of student loan debt. And oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. oh
2: wah, wah. yeah, I was like, oh. And then she's like, went on and on, and she's making $50,000 a year, not the six figure job her law school told her she was going to have. And it was going on. And then she ended this, you know, like spilling of all of her financial details with I just, I feel unlovable. Like, who would want to marry me with all this debt? And I just had so much empathy for her. And I was like, I don't have anything to help her at Merrill Lynch, but I want to figure out a plan for her. And so I started doing plans. And then I started calling all these people my quote pro bono clients. And then I went on the next few months of being the worst financial advisor ever because I was like meeting with all these pro bono clients. And it was like this dirty little secret that I was helping people with no money. And, but it was so fulfilling. And then, I had my true like Oprah aha week and I'm almost at your, I'm almost, I'm getting there. But I literally had my week started with a couple. They had over a million dollars with me. They're both making six figures and we're going over their account. Their portfolio was down 3% because the markets were down. And it was like, they were just all up in arms. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to send the kids to college? And like all these things, like they thought, You know, they were on the edge, and I was like, the ledge is not that high, you know. And I spent an hour of my life making them feel better about being a little less rich. And it just felt really soul sucking. And I thought, I guess this is my job as an advisor, you know. And two days later, I had a meeting with a pro bono client, and I did a plan for just similar how we do at the gym. It was laid out bullet points. Here's how you say it. Here's how you deal with the credit card, student loans, just like in a Word document. And after the meeting, she said, You know, you're saving my life, right? And I was like, this meeting feels so much better than that meeting. And it came to me instantly. I was like, every financial services company wants to help the people on Tuesday, you know, my earlier meeting. Nobody wants to help the people who are trying to figure out and build it. And at the time, I was on a weight loss journey. And I remember thinking there were so many places I could go to get physically healthy We have so many options. But if people want to get financially healthy, where would they go? And I thought you would go to a financial gym. And just like a regular gym, everybody can go there and get the workout they need. And instead of advisors, we would have trainers and they wear jeans and T-shirts. And I saw it very clearly. And I was like, I have to build this. Like I didn't know anything about starting a business. You know, again, this was not my plan. But all of a sudden it became It was it, you know, and that book I read led to this moment, and so I left Merrill Lynch ten years ago this month and started the journey. And I tell people the first two years were the dark years. It was just me. Trying to figure it out, like build the things, like going through everything I own personally because I didn't have enough saved because I didn't know. I just knew I had to do this, and went through all of my four hundred one k money. Got to the last withdrawal of my four hundred one k and told my then husband, who is still around, still still in the story until this point, I said, "I'm literally worth nothing. Like I have nothing. I have to go back and work." the bank I have to make money again. this has been fun helping people but he had watched me on this journey for two years he saw the impact and he was like, you got to keep pushing forward He's like, I still have money in my IRA let's keep going which now you know this is not advice I give clients although you know there's like the quote right way to do things financially and then I call it the passion way to do it right So that's the path I went down and so you know so then we start going and like literally two weeks later I was having coffee with a former boss he had been let go from Merrill Lynch. He had a severance package. He was like, how do you think I should invest? I was telling him what I was doing with my clients. He said, how do you think I should invest this money? And I said, I think you should invest in a small financial services startup that's about to run out of money. Oh,
0: well, me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he was like, you're right. And that was my first $100,000 check. So You know, the easiest, we talked about this earlier on my show about networking. You know, when you build your network, it's easy to do those asks. I didn't think it was going to be. And I didn't think he'd be my first investor because he had been my manager for nine years before that. But so he was my first investor. Then to date, we've raised over $10 million. We opened up physical locations because that was always a goal. But then we had to close them over the pandemic. But virtually we work with clients in every state. We work with clients of all financial shapes and sizes. So our clients have started with us with as low as negative $2,000 in the bank, which I didn't even know was possible to get that negative, honestly. And I feel like there should be laws against that. But whatever, it's a whole other story, a whole other soapbox. But and then Coming we have that
1: negative were fees,
2: late fees. Yeah, late <laughs> fees. Exactly. At some point, I feel like it should stop, right? Like at <laughs> some point... It. Yeah. Stop making it go worse. But, Mm -hmm. and then she, you know, she had a lot of shame around that, but we turned it around, but we started with that. And then we have clients who've come to us with millions of dollars who don't like the typical financial advisors and, you know, want to figure out how to do their own. And then we've had clients start with us with seven figures of debt to no debt, seven figures of income to no income. I mean, we've literally seen it all. And when I think about it now, like looking over the 10 years, like, I think about so much how Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, UBS, it's all the same. Everybody's kind of generally the same. And what I love about what we do is we've literally seen it all at this point. We kind of joke that our Slack channel would be worth millions of dollars alone. Like the amount of things that we see and it's like, hey, has anybody seen a blah, blah, blah? It's like, yeah, do blah, 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 blah. Like we've seen it all. And, you know, and it's the greatest joy to see that much of people's lives, learn so much about why we have financial health issues in America. We see it happen. And
0: yeah, that's what we do. Well, what an incredible story and truly one that gives me the feels because it's such a huge need. And it's a huge reason why Emily and I have been focused on financial literacy for business owners for so many years because That's a subset of this whole bigger picture that we're talking about here, where there's this huge lack of education. And I'm wondering from your perspective, like, what do you think is needed to make this place less scary and more attainable for more people? And obviously, you touched on it a bit that, you know, part of it starts with allowing people to come in earlier in the game and get advice sooner. But above and beyond that, what do we need to be doing?
2: Yeah. So there is a financial health crisis in the US. I said before we hit record that this came out. Financial Health Network revealed or shared their 2022 survey. And only 31% of Americans are financially healthy. So if you are feeling financially unhealthy, you're not alone. The majority are unhealthy. Only 23% of women are considered financially healthy and only 15% of the black population is considered financially healthy. So there is a crisis and there's still a lot of work to be done. But where does it start? It starts honestly at the beginning and and from the home and we think about money, money personal finance is a language. Right. So just like any other language, I like to say, let's just use for the analogy, let's call personal finance Greek. Right. So we have to learn Greek. The problem is we're not speaking Greek at home because probably our parents don't feel highly confident in their financial choices because they didn't speak Greek when they were little. So we're not typically speaking Greek at home. We didn't speak Greek in school because most schools don't, although some states are changing that, but we probably didn't learn it in school. And then we get a paycheck and we start, you know, earning money and now we're forced to speak Greek. Right. The second we get into the economic system, we all have to speak Greek. There's all this jargon and language and we're behind. And so people end up making financial choices and doing things, not understanding the language and feeling like the language is hard to understand because we didn't see any of it. And there is jargon. and Well,
1: not just the language, but the consequences of that, too. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people my age who have said they would have made different choices in college if they had understood the consequences, the long-term consequences of those actions. And you know it on an innate level, you know, that taking money, you'll need to pay it back eventually. But like the inner workings of student loans and interest rates and everything that's involved in that, let alone credit cards that were still when I went to college allowed to be presented to 18 year olds at like orientation
2: I actually prefer credit cards to student loans, FYI, because oh, really? credit cards are dischargeable in bankruptcy court, student loans are not. So student loans, I tell people, is the worst kind of STD you can get. It's actually transmitted debt, although school transmitted debt is like what we're talking about. And because the federal government, there is no statute of limitations on when they could collect on the student loans. So there's only a handful of crimes that the government doesn't have a statute of limitations on. I think it's like environmental crimes, treason, murder, I think is one, and honestly, student loan debt. Like those are the four. So treason and murder and environmental crimes are on the same level of people just getting an education in the United States. It's insane. So you get an education, you don't know what you signed up for, you got all this debt, and they can find you until you die to get repaid back on that debt. It's horrible. So honestly, that's what makes like makes credit cards look better. You're better off putting your college loan on on credit card debt.
0: Well, and that's so crazy to me. And I think part of it, you know, like starting early as the conversation, it's like, I know for so many people, even if the conversation started early, like I remember when my parents made me a checking account, like I was barely able to talk. And so I had a checking account from a young age, I started to learn how to balance a checkbook and all of the things. And that didn't, prevent me from taking a job that didn't cover ends meet that didn't prevent me from going through two layoffs and getting to the point where I was selling my plasma to make rent. Like, even if you have the knowledge, it doesn't prevent this potential, not just tragedy, but crisis mode that you're in survival through. And it can be so incredibly frustrating. Are there resources for people that you would suggest, like, say, they are Really frustrated with the amount of student loan debt they have. Like, where would you send someone? Well, to go back quickly
2: about the literacy, because it's it's not only the literacy. That's one part of it. Is learn like you were saying, Abigail, you could learn it, but then it's like the application of it. So it's one thing to learn Greek, but not to speak it. And so this is where you know we talk to parents from you know about raising kids that are financially healthy and I always say create an economic system for them at home so you that was amazing that your parents got you the checkbook but I always say take it to the next level have a way for your kid to earn money to spend money and to save money because those are like the three basic components of what we'll have later on in life that they have a concept that they have to earn the money they have a concept of how much things cost because they have to pay for their own things and see that money go up and down and honestly cash is the biggest educator for kids well so many parents if they're doing anything might give their kids like debit or credit cards, but literally there's neurological studies that show that your brain shuts down when you swipe a card. So it actually numbs it. It actually feels good. So spending feels good. So cash makes you feel uncomfortable, but it's actually a really great teacher. So it's having that literacy, creating the place where you can speak it. And then the third is addressing the emotional trauma that you have around money. So that's the third leg component. And what people don't address is the traumatic part that they have with money. I think it's something like 77% of people experience financial anxiety.
0: Want to learn exactly step-by-step step, how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that helped me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too.
2: So even if you're doing well, you might feel, you know, we have financially healthy people who are like, I'm afraid of running out of money. There was a couple that came to the financial gym. They had $40 million, $40 million in assets, okay? The reason why they joined the gym, they're afraid of running out of money. I always tell people the problems are the same. The zeros are different, right? So, you know, dealing with that trauma, and especially for women, is identifying that Greek is not a language you want to speak, and I'm talking Greek in the money analogy here. Greek is not a language you feel inclined to learn, that you want to learn, that your friends are speaking, but it's a language we have to speak because 98% of nursing homes are female. So we're going to have to speak the language at some point, right? We're going to have to manage our own finances. So we have to get comfortable with it. And then two, you have to acknowledge that you have an emotional connection with your spending, with your saving, with your earning that you know, you'll have to adjust. We've had a lot of clients join the financial gym and at the same time get a therapist because they're realizing that there's just trauma that's building up that's not necessarily money related at all.
1: Well, that's the conversation I was having with my partner a couple months ago, a friend of ours who is around my age, very unexpectedly lost her husband. And overnight went from, holy shit, like I... not only now have to pay for this funeral and for the expenses that come with a death, but now she's fully on her own for the house that they owned and the cars that they owned and her job and benefits and everything. And, my partner and I've been together since I was 18. And so it's been forever. I like joke, not joke that like, I don't know how to pay a bill because he handles all of it. He comes from a financial space. He had a lot more financial education, even from his parents than I ever did. I have a lot of financial trauma in my background and a lot of fear around money and losing it and not having it and all of the things. And there will never be enough for me to feel comfortable And so I avoid the uncomfy by like not understanding how our money works and not understanding how things get paid. But I had a huge, like, panic crisis of like, okay, literally, if you die tomorrow, I do not know what to do. And so I have him working on a binder to like walk me through all the things because I'm like, at minimum, I need like the login information. and Like, what are the dates and the amounts and all of the things. But it's an immediate like, well, I guess if he dies, I'll call my dad or one of our friends. And hopefully someone can help me figure it out because I don't know what to do. And I don't like being in that position. But it also makes me so uncomfortable to have those conversations that I've like, I guess I'll just be ignorant forever. This feels
2: better than that. Neither feel great. But yeah, fear and shame are the two words we hear all the time in the gym. Fear and shame. I'm afraid I'll run out of money. I'm afraid I don't have enough saved for retirement. I'm ashamed I'm not saving enough. I'm ashamed I have debt. Those are two really highly charged emotions. And to have them around money, which is... Literally impacts everybody. You know, we all have to have a relationship with money. It's just the way our society works that, you know, it creates a toxic relationship with money. And so a lot of the work we end up doing with people is how do we develop this healthy money mindset? How do we make this healthy connection and, you know, or spaces to have a healthy connection and feel excited and empowered and engaged to have the conversation? And honestly, we have Trustpilot reviews. We have hundreds of pilot reviews. And I just like, I lose my mind in good ways every time I see, especially a woman say, I feel confident. Like I'm excited to look at my numbers now and, you know, I'm empowered and I'm like, this is why we do what we do, you know, because we do have to break cycles. We do have to break, you know, and work through the trauma because we're creating more trauma by not knowing, you know, and so we understand why, honestly, we call our first session with our trainers, we call it your financially naked session. It's tongue in cheek, but we know that money is that taboo and that traumatic that it's almost equivalent to our clients stripping naked, but we're fully clothed, and we understand that that's what it feels like. And I always say we're more comfortable getting physically naked with somebody than financially naked. It is the like you're married, you know, like the ultimate taboo. I can't tell you how many couples we've seen married ten plus years and neither knows what's going on financially. But when we break those down, just like any fear, like I said earlier, everything we do financially is fixable. So the best part about the beginnings of developing a healthy money mindset is understanding that none of this is life or death. None of this is life or death. And also your financial picture, whatever it is, it's not permanent. Nothing is permanent. So if you feel uncomfortable or you're unsure, the best thing I could tell you is it won't stay like that. You know, there's always ways to fix it.
0: Oh, 100%. And I think that's the empowering thing that I would love to just like help more women get to the point where not only... Are they comfortable? But they're also bringing their ideas to the table. It takes a whole other level to get to the point where not only do you understand how your money is working for you and your business and in your personal life, but to come to the table with, I want to get more aggressive in this way, or I want to try this new investment strategy, or I want to work towards retiring earlier than we had initially planned for. And it has been the most empowering exercise for me because I know that you can go from nothing to something. Like when I started my career, like my husband had been unemployed for two years. I was the only financial provider. When we got married, we basically whittled our bank accounts down to nothing. We scrapped things together to buy our first house, which was a cracker box in literally the meth capital of the world. Like I just, just <laughs> say that and I you weren't
2: meth dealers. Like that no, wasn't your, no. that was your business.
0: <laughs> no, um, we, like we have lived to be across a- the street from a house that was rated almost weekly. And like, part of it was, I knew that the only way for us to get to the point where we could afford more and do better was we had to be living below our means, which our means weren't much at the time. And so I can't imagine what it's like to feel like you don't have anything. But I also know how empowering it can feel to get to the point where you have that freedom to have those conversations about the bigger picture, but it does take time. There's so much time and space between those two feelings. And I know for so many people, it can feel like a mountain to climb and they don't even know where to start. And so I know I asked earlier about resources and we like went down another tangent, but is there anything specific that you would really guide people towards to even have those conversations. Yeah.
2: So again, think about money as a language. And so how would you learn a language? What are the ways you would best do it? And I think honestly, I tell people all the time, podcasts are free and usually we learn a language better when we hear it and we can, you know, repeat it back. And, And I tell people, if you're parents with kids who are old enough, listen with your kids, learn with them or listen with friends and talk about it, you know, Cause again, we're we're getting in country, we're gonna speak the language and you know, just practice more. And podcasts are free. There's also, you know, YouTube videos out there, but I feel like there's a number of podcasts. And I always tell people listen to the one that you resonates that explains it in a way that you like. We call it at the gym, gym splaining, when we're gonna explain a topic to you, like in a way you can understand. But However, whoever's and there's so many podcasts that address different areas. So there's you know debt related podcasts. There's you know money and health and wealth. One my friend has a show called the uh, Health and Wealth Show where she's talking about you know mental health and wealth is her podcast. But there's different ones, and so find the one that works for you. There are certainly books, and you know we have a number of those on the gym. I don't love books unless you're just a really good book learner with finances. But it's hard because it's like again, imagine learning a language, reading it, and you're reading the jargon but you don't really know the jargon. It's not taking. So, you know, there are some general books that I I actually rarely recommend books, but I can give you a list for your listeners that are some of the better ones. And then, you know, and then YouTube videos and then, you know, talking to friends and people. And, you know, if you're somebody who has a financial advisor or significant other, somebody who is the money person who's been doing the things like start asking them to talk to you, explain it to you and, you know, explain it to you like, Not like you're dumb, because you're not dumb. And this is what I hate to hear all the time. It's like people coming to us saying, I know I should know this. I know I should know. And especially women shaming themselves. I know I should know this. And we just throw back at them. Why should you know it? Go back through the whole thing. You didn't learn Greek at all. So why should you know it? But now we're going to learn it and we'll move forward from there. So Find those kind of places that you get excited about, you want to listen to, you want to talk about it. Find your network of people, you know, that want to talk about it with you. Well,
0: I think the talking about it is so huge. I know for me, yes, I typically absorb better in audio form, but I also don't get it until I practice it. And so I remember some of my initial conversations, like when I was going to college, you know, I was still working to avoid getting as many student loans as I could, but my dad still paid my taxes. And so one of the first things I asked was, hey, like next time, we do this, I still need you to do it because I don't know how to do it. But like, can you go through it with me? Because it's important to me that I understand how this works, because I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. And I think similarly, when early on in my marriage, it wasn't necessarily that I needed to like, take over the task of managing the household finances. I just wanted to understand how things were working. And so I was like, can you talk me through what bills we have on a monthly basis and like how much are we spending compared to how much money we're bringing in and what amount are we saving? And then, you know, over time that gave me enough of a voice to be able to say, well, you know, I see we're saving a lot more, like let's work in making these investments or, you know, making these changes to our home or like, and buying that car or whatever, but that wouldn't have been possible for me anyway, unless I had, spent time like baby stepping and having more of those gradually
2: the more you talk about it the more you like again just like a language the more you could speak it and get engaged in it you realize it's just words it's just a language it's not that difficult but it is something to learn and i tell people there's usually a household cfo you know the person running the numbers i guarantee you because we've met them almost every single cfo would love a cfo buddy Right. It's usually they're the CFO because they're the only ones who are willing to do it. And I'm saying willing to do it in air quotes. It means the other person really doesn't want to go there. But every household CFO that we've met and we work with couples and stuff, they would love to have money dates with their partner. They would love to talk about the financial decisions that they're making, that they're making in a vacuum, but they wouldn't like to make it. They would like to make it in a conversation. And, you know, whether the point, if you have a CFO who doesn't want to talk to you in your household, that is a red flag and financial abuse is real. And so if you are with a partner who won't let you see everything and you won't explain everything that's happening, that is a red flag.
1: 100% get that checked out. (laughs) Okay. I would love to hear a little bit more about how the financial gym actually works. I, I, was doing a lot of digging, and I love that you guys like make a differentiator between the, the fact that you're not advisors, you're not gonna advise on specific like investment strategies, you have no products to sell, so there's no like ulterior motive for like the advice that you guys might be giving. But I think, at least for me, another caution or question I would have if I were joining. I feel like one of my financial insecurities is also about choosing intentionally who I'm learning from in the sense of like, not you as in you, because I feel like I know where this is going, but there are certain people in the industry who give really shit advice and who give really privileged advice and don't take into account a lot of other factors in someone's life. And the advice is very strong and it's very culty. And so for someone who's maybe been burned by a relationship like that in the past or an education experience like that in the past, how do you guys mitigate that?
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, we're a thousand percent the opposite because we've seen, you know, we've been on the journey with people and it started with me and my pro bono clients and sitting and listening and and hearing. And that's what the business has been built on. And, you know, I'm a mom at the end of a 17 year old son and I tell the team every time around his birthday, which just happened, I'm always grateful for him. And I always say this company wouldn't exist if I didn't have him because it is that desire to want more for other people. Like I think every single one of our clients is like my kids and I want them to have the best and like to be the best version of themselves that they want to be. And that money is just a tool to kind of help them get there. But the process with us actually starts with a free warm-up call. And I joke all the time that we have this warm-up call system and that I would never sign up for because I'm not the kind of person who would sign up for a call and who am I speaking to and what is going on. But our warm-up callers are actually current clients. So they are active clients who need to side And you know, whether they're repaying debt or saving or whatever their goals are. So it works out well because they are free nights and weekends. And I don't want to have full-time people working nights and weekends. So, and they also work during the day too. So you'll be speaking to a client. They are not incentive to sell you anything. They're just there to hear your story, hear your journey, kind of understand what your challenges or goals are, and then connect you with the right trainer. And so we have a team of trainers, we have videos for all of them. So we encourage people to get to know the trainer see if they have a specific type. We ask them if they have a specific type of personality they're looking for. Cause just like fitness trainers, like some of our trainers are like more Jillian Michaels, like intense hardcore, which it works for some people. Like they're like, I need somebody who's going to do work for me, Right. Right. And then some are like more of like a teddy bear, like Cuddly, soft, and like cozy. And we have somebody for everybody. You know, we have everybody in between. We have a very diverse group of trainers who, you know, empathy is one of our core values of the business and have a high degree of empathy. So we're trying to pair you with the right fit, you know, because we want you to have the most successful pairing you can have. And then you go to that financially naked meeting, they're going to ask you a lot of questions and they don't care what you look like, right? Like you're going to strip naked and they are just taking notes because we just need to know where you are so we can get you where you want to go. And one of the, we, you know, we go through all that, but then we go through the fun stuff of like, what do you want to accomplish? Where do you want to go in life? What are your hopes and dreams? Because to your point you made earlier, Abigail, like some people can't even see the way out. Like what is the big picture? Pay- if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which by the way, 70 plus percent, I think it's 67% of the population is living paycheck to paycheck. It's really hard to imagine what life beyond that looks like. But we always say, let's just like, if money wasn't a thing, what does it look like? And let's lay that out. And then We end with asking what your non-negotiables are because, you know, we want to know what's important to you and how you spend your money. And if we had to take everything out of your monthly expenses (laughs) because we got to make things work, like the puzzle pieces, like clients are coming and throwing all the puzzle pieces out and we're like, what pieces have to stay? Because we're going to put this back together, but we want to make sure certain pieces stay. And I always say you can't have a herd of (laughs) non-negotiables. Like you can have one or two. And, you know, because other than 1% of the population, we all have to make choices, right? We can't get what we want in life. We give musical playlists to all of our clients, like, you know, Workout. And the number one song on everyone's playlist is You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. Because it's true, but you get what you need. And so we want to
1: make sure you get what you need. Mine would be Bitch Better Have My Money by Rihanna. That is, that is, she frequently <laughs> makes an appearance on a playlist. I'm
2: not going to lie. I was happy she did it in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. So, and then what happens is then the trainer is going to go and do your plan for you, specific to you and your goals, lay it all out there. And then when we deliver the plan for you, we're going to show you how it all works out. And we're going to give you a lot of different options because we know that, you know, there's some people out there, like you said, who are like, no debt or no this or this or take a hard and fast line. And that's like telling somebody they have to go on the keto diet forever. And I can't do keto because I, you know, I love bread and I love, I went I'm going to show you ladies. So they can see my team knows this. I have a candle that has Oprah on it that says, I love bread that my team got me for my birthday one year. Cause like Oprah's like one of my spirit animals and she loves bread too. So like I could never do that. So we want to get people on a plan that's going to be sustainable and long term. So we're going to give different options like, okay, here's how you cut expenses. Here's how you could grow revenue. We're going to tell you how much you need to be making based on the lifestyle you want to have. So 67% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. It's mostly because they don't know what their paycheck should be. And we literally will tell you that. Like we've had clients come to us making, let's just say $60,000 a year, but we know all their goals. And to accomplish all of that, they need 80. And when we're telling them 80 is your income number, we're not saying it like, ha ha, you're not there. We're like, look, now you have something to shoot for because if you hit this, then all these things start happening. And then that shifts for our clients because then they're like, well, now we help them negotiate for better pay or raise their rates on their business, you know, whatever we have to do to get them to that point, then we can start shifting the dynamic. Or if they don't feel like they have that hustle energy in them and they're like, look, I just want to stay at 60. Okay, fine. Keto. We got to cut. Then <laughs> like, we got to take things well, out. And
0: I don't, the funny thing, I'm sure you see the same thing for us. I've noticed a lot of our clients, their goals are like not that far away. Yeah, like it's not. They're it's very seen. attainable and it's just usually not being able to fill in the gap of like, what does that even look like to make that leap? They're like, I want more childcare or I want to like, you know, go on this vacation or do this renovation project or whatever. And it's like typically not a huge space to fill. Because you can't even dream of a bigger life than one that's like, not that far away, usually. Yeah. Well, once we quantify it, they're scared to quantify it. And I think you
2: made the point about like things taking a long time, Abigail, and like to grow. And the analogy we give, we love a fitness analogy at the gym. What we say, it's like any kind of goal, any kind of life goal or thing, it's going to be like running a marathon, right? You decide, hey, I'm going to run a marathon. Well, you're not going to run a marathon tomorrow you're just not you're not going to decide today and then run 20 plus miles tomorrow. You're going to run a little bit at a time. You're going to take break days. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to, you know, do whatever you have to do to keep pushing forward, but you're going to work up to that. And it's the same thing with financial goals. Some of them can happen quickly, some of them are going to take more time and it's just, you know, a matter of like managing expectations, but sometimes people are so scared to even put that to even say 20 plus miles or $20,000 I need for this, you know, new bathroom. You know, that sounds like that gives them anxiety, right? So they almost don't even want to say it. And we say, "Well, okay, yes, a bathroom. First of all, it's just real, right? The bathroom renovation is going to cost $20,000. It's not a made-up number, it's a real number." So when do we want to do the bathroom renovation? Well, we don't want to do it today, but maybe we want to do it in five years. Okay. We'll take 20,000 divided by five divided by 12. And there's our monthly goal to get there. And then we automate automation is very big and not only just automating for goals, but naming our goals is very, you know, we talk about mindset and staying focused to encourage clients. We have clients who have 15 different savings accounts, you know, plants, plants, tattoos and they name it fur baby they'll name their they know the fur baby as a certain name they'll name the account that and they'll want the money to go there because it's like one year I had clients they were saving for this country cottage in London and we knew they were gonna have a big tax bill and I said well let's just do a new savings account called taxes they're like no we'll just put it in the country cottage house and I was like okay P.S. They needed to pay the tax bill they're like where's the money gonna come from I'm like Remember, guys? Country Cottage. And then they felt emotionally torn, right? Because they're like, mm -mm. came from Country Cottage. So I was like, guys, remember how I told you we should have a separate account called taxes?
0: We have a property tax account for that very reason. Like, As soon as it's in that account, it's like it disappears for us. And we just don't even think about it anymore.
2: Yeah. And it's got its own name. I'm like, you know, but you got to name it and you got to have them separate. And then you, you know, feel aligned toward those.
0: Well, this has been... So incredible, and I really appreciate your take on how we can make this more attainable. But I'm also super impressed by everything you've built over at the Financial Gym. If someone is interested in having one of those initial calls with one of your clients, how would someone get started and/or go find out more information about you?
2: Yeah, they can find us at financialgym.com and just Google Financial Gym. And when you see that free warm-up call, that's what I'm talking about. Or free constantly, I think it says free call. Also, we're on- on Instagram. I think we're on all the social channels at the financial gym or the financial gym and same on our website. We don't want you to just sign up right away. We want you to get to know us, right? We're going to ask you to get financially naked with us. We'd like you to like like a little foreplay. So definitely check us out, read our blog site, listen to our podcast. I have a podcast called Martinis and Your Money. We also have a gym podcast called Financially Naked with more stories of our clients and what's happening at the gym. So get to know us and then you can sign up and get to know us even more.
1: Amazing. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on. And y'all, all all of those links will be in the show notes for this podcast episode. And you can go hang out and definitely go give martinis and your money a listen over wherever you listen to podcasts. We will also be making an appearance over there. So go look for our episode. Thank you, Shannon, for coming on today.
2: Thanks, ladies.
1: Looking to elevate your brand without the headache?
0: Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership with thousands of easy-to-customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode. Send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the -the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to BossProject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details really love this show, it would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show, but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.